Stop what you're doing and listen. It all goes back to listening. If I tell the truth, it's because I tell the truth. Then I think that's when real listening happens. Like, I just, I share my voice. Now, I don't think that's a bad thing to do. You can talk to people. You know, you can really have a dialogue. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. And we're going to have to work at this every day, but I want to do that. I listen to gain perspective. Listening requires a lot of humility. It requires you to sort of put your own worldview on pause. Those are things uh, that don't require rocket science. The more that we listen, the better we become. Every conversation we have is an opportunity to grow. Hi, how are you all doing? It's Jonathan. Today I'm here with two dynamic student leaders on the PLU campus, the Muslim Student Association Vice President Fatu and the Community Advocate for Hope and President of NAMI, Allah. Together we had a really interesting conversation about what it is like being a Muslim student here at PLU. They also talked about religious freedom, prayer, safety, choice, Islamophobia, their hijabs, and the perspectives that they receive from other people. I think you will really enjoy this conversation. Today, I'm joined by two dynamic women that will introduce themselves. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Fatimata Conte. I am a sophomore in the nursing program here at PLU. I am, am the vice president of the Muslim Student Association on campus. I also work in the Cradler Lounge as the transfer advocate. Hello, everybody. My name is Ala Al-Shabani. I am a senior here at PLU. I work in the Cradler Lounge as the community advocate for HOPE, and I'm also the president of NAMI on campus. NAMI stands for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and we work to educate, advocate, and help those who are stigmatized by the stigma of mental illness. So check us out, please. Thank you. I'm so happy and excited to have you all here on a discussion just on identity formation and individuals that identify as Muslim. So this is really great experience. And first, I just want to start talking about how have your experience has been on campus? I would say I've had a pretty good experience, but it has more to do with the fact that I'm very social and I like to go out into the sphere, meet new people. So it's been a positive experience in general. I would say the same. I started here my first year in uh, fall of 2013 and I lived on campus my first year and I've been a commuter since and I haven't had any super bad experiences on campus. I feel like the worst thing was probably if you guys saw in the uh, mast article about how like during orientation or whatever, somebody made a snide comment other than that, it's been pretty, pretty good. Thank you. So as we know, Pacific Lutheran University is a Lutheran institution. One of the first questions I want to bring up is about religious freedom. Here at PLU, do you feel like you have the religious freedom to exercise your religion? I do, definitely, because I don't, I'm not going to let someone tell me that so like where this space is okay for me to exercise my religious freedom. If I need to go pray, I'm gonna go pray. And then the fact that it's a Christian school is not gonna prevent me from practicing my religion. So I do feel like I do have that religious freedom to do that. However, I can't say that for many of the other Muslims on campus because as I mentioned before, I do take it upon myself to practice and create that space for myself, which might not be the case for other Muslims or other people that identify in a different religion. I remember being really surprised to see that chapel break was a thing my first year. Um, But I mean, it's not mandatory or anything, so that's pretty cool. I would love to see a prayer space, and I know that Campus Ministries is currently working on that. Jen Rood is awesome, as is Melanie. But um, same as Fatu said, I pray in the library. I pray in Kreidler Lounge. It's 
super casual. I don't ever feel like I have to hide my identity. <laughs> and it's cool because people ask about like the, you know, the praying mm -hmm. and the religion and how we practice on campus and if we have adequate resources and space and things like that. And I think that's cool that they're asking about that and making sure that we're being represented and have that space. And adding on to what Ella said about the prayer space, we're really thankful for Pastor Jen because she really reached out to us and Melanie and they're trying to work with us with the prayer space. And we mentioned that this was also said in the article that we don't want the prayer space to just be solely for Muslims. We would like it to be inclusive. And Ella mentioned we wanted to, uh, we talked about calling it a meditation space, which is mm. inclusive to everybody. It can go do yoga if you want it. So <laughs> if it, whatever helps you mellow down and, you know, experience your spirituality or express your religion. And was it always that easy? So when you got here, was it an automatic thing to, work to where I'm going to pray right here? Or was that a process? For my... I, again, I lived on campus my first year, so I remember trying to like scout out the university to find out good places to pray. I prayed a lot in the stud lounge in Harstad. That's where I used to live my first year. I'm in the library, the nooks and crannies of the second floor. Sometimes we'd get one of those study rooms. And one time I prayed in the hallway of Harstad and it was near somebody's door. And so that person came to go inside their room and they thought that I was, I don't know, because I was down. It was like when I was kneeling. Oh and so she started talking to me and I didn't answer because I was praying. That's what happened to me. And I felt really bad, but I just kept going. And she just kind of, I think she understood like after I was just going with it. And then I, she went inside and then I knocked on her door and I explained what was going on. And other than that it's it's been good <laughs> that's so funny because that's happened to me so many times it's <laughs> and you have to remember too like praying in public it's very nerve-wracking because one it's not like the thing that you see all the time so it's just when you don't have like an appropriate prayer space to pray in, then you you know you result to public spaces like i used to pray in the admin building in empty, mm. empty classrooms and people will walk in and they're like is she okay yeah, <laughs> i don't know why just, do you think we're not okay? yeah and okay, <laughs> do we look like we're dying like <laughs> standing just and like, like bending it's like, yeah it's bending over i don't know I don't, same like thing if we were like lying on the floor like i don't know <laughs> comatose looking but like yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's not like I don't know. seriously yeah like what you said that's happened to me so many times and you just like you've, you're thinking because it also disrupts your prayer but then you're thinking like should i go after the person and explain like usually i don't because i'm already like nervous about praying in public already but it's just experiences like that it's just it's funny to me and i think in doing so you say there i think you one of you mentioned before that there's some students that just don't feel comfortable mm -hmm. in praying mm -hmm. and how do you interact with those individuals and how do you articulate that what do you mean individuals like us like muslims praying in public or people seeing us pray in public both both yeah for the others, I just kind of ignore them. Um, <laughs> for the actual Muslims who don't like praying, praying in, public. in public, I respect that. I try to like talk with them and get them to understand that why would you put people's perceptions of you before your religion and stuff, but it's not my place to judge. Um, I feel like when the group is bigger, it, it, it might make them feel more at ease, but then it also might make them nervous because then they would think other people would get nervous if there was just a huge group of Muslims praying. And so it's just... And I guess it all depends. It depends, yeah, on who you are as well as a person. Like, if you just don't care, like, if you don't give a... Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you don't, you know, give a care in the world, you just, you know, 
find a prayer space and pray. But I know some people who are shy about things like that in public. And it does take time. It's not like, oh, it's prayer time. I'm just going to drop down here and pray. Like, it takes courage. And it takes, especially nowadays in society, I see videos on YouTube and I see people praying in public and then people walking up to them and like saying you can't pray here you know disrupting their prayer or saying this is not allowed sometimes harassing them you know so Mm -hmm. things like fears like that you don't know you're in public you don't know if the place is safe or like people surrounding you you don't know their intentions so it's kind of scary to put yourself in that position so people are I understand that if they don't feel comfortable praying in public and they you know find a private classroom and, and pray in there so in terms of other people watching me pray, personally, I don't mind because I just find it as an opportunity to educate them. Like oh, if, yeah. they're, if they're mm-hmm. curious about, you know, what, what I'm doing. So like when I finish praying and then someone's staring at me, I would like, you know, smile, be like, hi, how are you? Like start a conversation. And then if they happen to ask me about what I was doing, perfect educa- uh, education opportunity to let them know this is what we're Muslims. This is what we do five times a day. We pray. Mm-hmm. Just educate them in general and yeah. feed their curiosity. I agree with that. And actually, I've had a couple of friends who have asked if they could join in. And so that's been really funny, like dressing them up and having them like follow. And one time a friend fell over and started laughing, which kind of <laughs> disrupted my prayer to like focus. But it was, it was good. It was nice. Featuring video testimony from 16 PLU students, faculty members and staff. PLU's Listen Campaign is a collection of individual stories that provide multiple perspectives on what it means to be a community that not only embraces diversity, but also works actively in community to provide social change. Learn more at plu.edu listen. And I think you brought up a really profound thing of Islamophobia. Mm-hmm. And so I think you mentioned a group of students, it would be hard Brains, for a group yeah. of Muslim students to pray in a space Mm -hmm. and because that would make others feel uncomfortable right and do you feel like here at plu or out in and out of plu Mm -hmm. that that is an issue that you have to face every day absolutely even in pl even at plu because one what i forgot to mention earlier is this is my second semester here at plu and i don't really know that many people and i don't know the environment as well as ella does so she might feel comfortable like just praying and doesn't you know Mm -hmm. doesn't really pay attention to the people around them but sometimes I do think about that I'm like what are these you know what what are my peers around me thinking so it's impossible for me not to think about it if that makes sense Mm. yeah I guess it depends like Fatu said like I'm more familiar with the campus and I'm typically a person that doesn't care and so I'll just go ahead and pray usually I don't notice until somebody else points it out to me and then all of a sudden I'm like hyper aware of like everybody's Mm. gazes but I'm usually like, so tuned out to that that I, yeah, I don't, it doesn't even. What do you mean ring. you don't notice? Like people staring at you while you're praying? Yeah, like, like one time when we were praying in the library, me, mm-hmm. you, and. Amani? No, it wasn't Amani. It was something. I think it was Aisha. Aisha yeah. It was Aisha. And we sat back down, and then the person we were sitting with, they were like, oh, those people were staring at you. And I was like, they were? I didn't and, I, and I just shrugged. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, uh, do they want to come over and ask us questions? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes you just you can't take it personally as well. Like, you just have to be like, because it is whatever different. you do. Like, yeah. You're just yeah. watching somebody stand up and, and kneel, down kneel down and stand back up in like a rhythmic way. Like, yeah, that's very Whatever you do different. in public, people are going to be staring at you, no matter if you're praying or if you're like just breaking out into dance, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> if you're like, I don't know. So it's, you can't take the staring thing to you know personally like oh they're judging me or they're thinking some sort of way about me as 
that has to do with my religion or mm-hmm. who um you know things like that but also there is that whole like staring thing and you being conscious of it yeah and i guess in those moments i know every moment that you go through it's not as graceful and it's not as an educational moment and with that being said like there's a lot of microaggressions that come with being a muslim student mm-hmm. or expressing something different than the dominant society right do you have any examples of like microaggressions that individuals have said or things they have done and like how it made you feel i actually just learned about microaggressions last year mm-hmm. i didn't know much about it but it makes sense when you like throw out examples like on the spot you can't really think of examples but when someone's like this happened to me you're like oh that happened mm-hmm. to me too and you didn't really realize it was a microaggression and I'm, i was telling you before we started the podcast that whenever i because i'm a small person whatever i wear it's big on me like i have a <laughs> big uh, raincoat so my pockets are like typically stuffed with like keys and things like that and it looks like big and so whenever i'm taking out things from my pocket i notice people looking at my pocket like like i'm gonna take out like something harmful i'm mm. just like I'm taking out my key. Like, you see you see their eyes just follow you, you know, like when you're trying to take mm. out something from your pocket. I don't know if that's just me or is it just the fact that you're taking out something from your pocket. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I don't know if it has something to do with, but I think that could be considered a microaggression either way because as an African-American person, if they do the same thing to an African-American male, like, they're gonna it's, it's considered a microaggression because there's no reason why you should be following the person your your the person's actions with your eyes if that makes sense yeah so yeah. it's like there's no level if somebody there's, else were to do it in the yeah, classroom it's not a it's big not deal. a big deal exactly mm-hmm. so yeah um i've been trying to think of this for like <laughs> when you said that you're gonna ask us this something did come to mind though um i don't remember the last time it happened on campus but if somebody doesn't know who i am and then they hear me speak <laughs> And then their eyes get really wide because I sound super educated and super American. They're like, whoa. And so (laughs) I'm like, or or like they tell me, you don't even have an accent. I was like, yeah, I was born here. (laughs) But um, that's starting to get more and more annoying. I used to not be really annoyed by it, but now it's just like. (laughs) I have to say that my three salient identities are African-American, Muslim, and woman. Mm -hmm. So all these three factors are like somehow against me and like microaggressions because those are the three. In, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> intersectionality. So I remember this had back, I live in Everett. So I was taking my sisters to the pool and I was watching them and we were, I was just watching them swim and I was just sitting there chilling. And this guy came up to me, this older man, and he was curious and he started, you know, a conversation and he was asking me about like school and like what I do and things mm-hmm. like that. And I told him, oh, I, I go to U- at that time I went to UW. I was like, I go to UW and I am studying nursing. And he was very surprised by the fact that I go to UW and that I'm doing nursing. And he was very impressed. And people often, him included, and other people often compliment me about my language and about how I speak English. And mm-hmm. the fact that I don't have an accent, they're like, how long have you been in America? I'm like... I've been here for about 11 years and they're like you don't even have an accent I'm like we speak English in my country <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. like like I, I learned English here like we speak English in my country and you know so things like that just general micro yeah and it's, <laughs> and it's really interesting that you said general microaggressions yeah. because that insinuates <laughs> that because they happen constantly it happens right? constantly when you have the minority identities in society mm-hmm. 
they constantly happen. So I think that's why part of it is hard to think about them mm -hmm. because they happen on a day-to-day -day basis. So you're like, oh, I have to put my finger on it. Well, this morning or this afternoon yeah. mm -hmm. or yesterday, they're a constant thing. And oh, yeah. I just thought of another one. Ooh, Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> no, go ahead. This one bothers me a lot. It's around the hijab. So the, oh, we literally. start talking about it. <laughs> and I, I, lo I love talking about them. Like I love when people ask me questions. Yeah. Um, I've gotten some really strange questions. Oh, yeah. But people ask me about my hijab and I explain it to them and then they're like so do you get hot in it over the summer oh yeah and That's that bothers me a that bothers me a little bit and then I'm like well I mean we're all hot in the summer like we are used to the <laughs> rain and the cold like I hate anything above 65 degrees <laughs> and then they're like man I can't ever do that I, I'm, I feel so sorry for you and and I'm just like it's Why? not about what you're wearing like it's a religious thing like I'm not just gonna like not want to do it or mm -hmm. take it off because I'm hot. I'm hot. Like, yeah. it, I feel like there's like this dissonance between like mm. the fashion and religion and just, I, yeah, it bothers me. That's what bothers me. I think that's a good transition to talk about the hijab. Mm, yeah. Because I think individuals see it as a fat, like a lot of fashion, mm -hmm. a fashion statement. Especially now with the fashion the industry and, and yeah. the bloggers and the, YouTubers. how there's been a couple yeah. runway shows with. Oh, yeah. Hijabs and there's a new displayed. there's a cover girl uh, and there's a new cover name? girl uh, I forgot I forgot her name but she's like a <laughs> like cover girl wearing like a hijab it's like part of a new campaign or whatever which yeah. is pretty cool actually yeah. that it yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> no, it's all good I think when people say that how do you feel like how do you articulate the value because it's your identity it's mm -hmm. right but you said you're intersecting intersecting identities how do you explain that value. Or do you even feel like you have to explain that value because it's like, duh. Yeah, that's how I feel. And I realize that people don't get it, but I don't know how to like articulate mm -hmm. yeah. it. People ask me, why do I wear it? And I told them like two basic things. And number one is that's what God commands of us. And number two, that the reason for that is because that women are worth more than just their looks, like the way that society objectifies women as just these mm -hmm. objects. And so the reason that we cover is to go against that society pushed ideal and to show that women are more worth more than just their looks that we are also have like opinions and ideas and things that mm. we are worth beyond i really like the fact yeah. that it represents that because that's how i look at it as well mm -hmm. and besides the fact that it's a religious requirement that it signifies you know modesty and it promotes modesty and it values the women which islam does islam values women when people some people approach me and they're like oh, that's they think of it as like a form of oppression if, mm. if I to, if I'm to be simple, and it's really not because it's a way to honor and value it's an empowerment. Value. It's an empowerment. It's yeah. a way to honor and value mm. women. Like this is my body, and I control who sees it, and I control. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but do you know what I'm you trying have to the say? Power. Like I have the power yeah. to control, and it's like it's empowering and it's honoring the woman, and it's it's modesty, and modesty is not just covering. It's not just mm. wearing the clothing. It is in how you act. It's mm. how you walk, how you talk, how you treat others and how you behave in society and, you know, all things like that. And hijab reminds you of that. And mm -hmm. it, it reminds you that you're a modest woman. You are to be valued and to be honored. And the way you act and the way people approach you, it's all, it all has to do with modesty, you know. And then another thing is that they ask, why do men not, not cover? cover. And they it's do. like, they do. They do. It's just not in the same ways. Yes. <laughs> because mm. society doesn't view men in the same way that they view women. And so men have to cover from their kneecaps mm -hmm. to their navel. They can't show anything in between that space. Being a nerd, I just have to point out a verse in the Quran. <laughs> like the, yeah. the verse in the Quran that says that 
women to, for women to cover, it also says men have to cover. If you read the verse, it says men and women. Like it says men, mentions men before women. So mm. the covering goes for both. It's not like they're, women are covering in a form of oppression. <laughs> sorry. No, I, I, sorry. I think it's really important because it gives context to what people assume. Yes. Right. That a, this, a story is so they they visualize and like oh they're so they're weary so weird, yeah. oh my goodness and it's like uh, no it's funny <laughs> I see memes that there's particular meme that I remember of um it was a woman fully covered with hijab and just her eyes showing and there was another there was a Western woman with everything showing except shades on her eyes the the Western woman was thinking she's so oppressed that she can only show her eyes and then the Muslim woman was thinking poor things that she can only cover her eyes sort of thing like the different perspectives mm. and it's like just she's only valued yeah she's it. only valued by just covering yeah her covering eyes. her eyes or something like that it was just like the difference and yeah, i know what you're talking about yeah I, there's no that's an interesting comic so. and that makes total sense and i think also and i don't know and i could be stepping out of boundaries a lot of individuals i think with the islamophobia mm. they're afraid Right. And how do you articulate what is your what do you do in those situations where people are not comfortable with you mm-hmm. wearing your hijab? And it's like you're not going to take it off. Right. No. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't care. Because <laughs> I, I really don't yeah. care because I'm not doing it for you. Right. This is something for me and for my religion and how I express my religion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I kind of don't care if they're not comfortable. I'd rather... You tell, you know, you ask me questions and I'll, you know, have a conversation with you and I explain to you what I just did about like what mm-hmm. hijab means and why I'm doing it and, you know, why women cover in Islam and, you know, have that conversation rather than you assuming and being scared. And like I said, I really don't care because I'm not doing it for you. So, yeah. yeah. I found the comic. You did? <laughs> I just want to say it really fast. So the bikini clad woman is saying there everything covered but her eyes. What a cruel male dominated culture. Yes. And then the naqab. Uh, dressed woman is saying nothing covered but her eyes what a cruel male dominated culture okay which ties it back to feminism Feminism, and empowerment and what everything and the whole issue of controlling women and how it all comes back down to that just people having problems because they try to control how and what we wear for what reason yeah also Mm. i would like to (laughs) add that i know some people think this that us being covered makes us judge other people that are not covered that's not the case like it's not our place Mm. to judge like uh, if a bikini clad woman is wearing her bikini and like what wants to show her about wants to show off her body go for it like that's not my place to tell you what to wear and not to wear mm-hmm. you know it's not my place to judge and it's not my place to be like what you're doing is like shameful blah blah, blah. like it's not our place to do that and we're covering like i mentioned for ourselves and for our religious practice on Open to Interpretation, host and PLU communication professor Amy Young is joined by PLU faculty members to discuss a single word commonly used in the news, on social media, and on college campuses. Past episodes include discussion of words like advocacy, climate, protest, and gender. Listen to episodes of Open to Interpretation and other PLU podcasts by subscribing to PLU Audio on iTunes or by visiting plu.edu audio. We talked about a little bit religious spaces, but the importance of having that education mm-hmm. of Islam and of being Muslim, and it's not here at PLU. There's no like, let's get a minor in like Muslim. The mm. Muslim they do studies. have a couple classes. Yeah, yeah. I know of two. Um, I haven't taken either of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do hear that they students come into that class, 
and they leave completely different <laughs> with completely different perceptions. That's good. And mm-hmm. so I hear good things as a result, but then I also hear like bad things about like when students first enter it and like things that professors have heard. But I haven't had a chance to take those classes because I'm a nursing major and <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I will, I will actually really interested. One of our advisor for Muslim Student Association, the MSA on campus here, uh, Seth Dowling is actually teaching Islam, Islam in America, in America mm. class next uh, this next semester, and he wants us to put the word out there. So shout out Seth Dowling, <laughs> <laughs> Religious Department, Religion Two Twenty Three. I have no idea. I'm sorry. So, yeah, and I know uh, Professor Llewellyn Eisen. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. also teaches. She's awesome. uh, yeah, she's she's pretty cool. So those those are two classes that I know of. Yeah, and mm-hmm. what kind of advice do you give people that are trying to learn mm-hmm. and trying to be in that space to get to know? I would say check your sources. <laughs> Number one, yeah, be go open-minded. Into it. Yeah, go into it with an open mind. Yeah, my wine with an open mind. Because <laughs> I feel like a lot of people go into things really ethnocentric with mm-hmm. like an ethnocentric mind, and so they yeah. they look at things and they can't get into their yeah yeah they can't dissociate their like upbringing and mm-hmm. their ideals when they try to learn others, and so. Media is such a heavy influence on things that people hear about Islam. And I would say, like you said, check your sources. Don't get your information about Islam from the media. Granted, some of the sources are, some of the information are facts and, you know, Mm -hmm. they're accurate. And the best way to do it is by joining the MSA. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Speak to a Muslim. Like, if you see a Muslim, don't be afraid to approach them. We're not, like, intimidating. I don't know. I'm not intimidating, you know, we're not intimidating. So approach a Muslim. If you know a Muslim, talk to them about Islam and be like, oh, hey, I heard about this in the news. Like, what do you know about this? Tell me about this, you know, sort of thing. And it's like, it's really annoying that we live in a society where you just have to, you have to project that, like, I'm fine. Like, I'm not an enemy. I'm I'm okay. Because I feel like that's more work as being all three of us are people of color Mm -hmm. and already having to deal with that barrier and then having the intersecting identities to continue to be like, I'm still here. I'm still a human being. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm there. So it's really sad that, like, the dominant society can't see that as well as when they do see it, they don't acknowledge it. Media. (laughs) Yeah. Media. Media, media. With the whole, what you said, just reminds me of, like, the dehumanization and everything that's been happening and just not associating, first, I'm a human being. Does... The, your religious identity affect any other identity. So we talked about woman being a woman a little bit. Mm-hmm. Any other identities that are affected or correlate with each other? Not related to Muslim, really, is my American and my Arab identities. I feel like those clash a mm. lot because I identify more with my American side than with my Arab side, which whenever I say that to people, they're either surprised or usually in the case of Arabs, they're really angry that I said that. <laughs> and so, but I mean, I haven't been to an Arab country since I was four, mm. but I am still Arab and I was raised on Arab values and Arabic was the first ling- was is my native language, um, even though it's I'm at a second grade level at it now, whereas in English, I'm like in a college level. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what happens when you don't, work at things that's always difficult but then the thing that i use to tie it together is religion mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what your culture is as long as you you're putting religion first mm-hmm. so that's what i always say to any arab who has a problem with me saying that oh i'm american <laughs> and i'm like who cares where i'm from it's the fact it's that i'm a muslim religion. it's yeah. the fact that i'm practicing my faith the way that god wanted me to like yeah. it has nothing to do with 
if mm. I was born here or from here or identify as this or identify as that. You know, I so like that. And I agree with that. Why do you feel like it's your job to educate every the people that come in your path? Why do you feel right. like it's your job That's to educate question. people? Mm. One of the biggest things that our religion like says to do is to give dawah, which is spreading the message. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to stand up and give <laughs> a, sermon. a sermon to the world. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to do it in my actions. I'm going to mm-hmm. do it by answering people's questions to the yeah. best of my abilities. I'm going to be doing it by encouraging people to join the MSA, by doing <laughs> this podcast, by p- being on the mast, and just by working on campus and being visible, yeah. being an approachable presence. Exactly for me as well. Like our religion encourages you to, you know, spread the religion. We call it spreading the deen, which is the religion, just to educate people and just make them knowledgeable because better to, you know, educate yourself on things. And that goes for me too. Like I don't know anything there, everything there is to know about other religions, you know. So if Mm -hmm. I come into contact with someone from a different religion or a different background, I'm going to try to ask questions and get to know you and so that I don't offend you. I think overall, like, I'm really thankful for having this time to really dive into individuals' lives Mm -hmm. and how they are able to express themselves. Because I think one thing with the election that happened, with things that have popped up, people, I think, forget about everyday life. Mm -hmm. Um, People just look at the bigger picture, the macro look at things and not and forgetting that, you know, there are still individuals of color. There's still Muslims. There's still Mm -hmm. the minority identities. I want to go off that really fast. Yeah. Um, I was so taken aback by how many people (laughs) approached me through either emails, texts, calls, Facebook messages in person to like Mm. ask me how I was doing after the election. Mm. I was so touched by that. And I just and it was people who I haven't talked to like since seventh grade, people who I who are like my bosses, like the range of people who came and talked to me. It was it was so amazing. So that really gave me hope for the future. And I really yeah, I really appreciated everybody their kind words and the campus as well and i think this is a pretty liberal campus so the outflow of support not just for you know the but all the minorities on campus like i know Mm -hmm. there was a couple of um i saw you at one one of the the The, gatherings what was it the The, prayer prayer thing yeah for yeah and then there was like campus-wide emails and people Mm -hmm. from different departments offering support and you know just being there for people the counseling center they opened their doors you know i I think it was like extra hours if anyone wanted to come and you know talk to them which was really appreciative and the people that i'm surrounded by were also supportive and um you know they were with you which is pretty is pretty cool and awesome of PLU. So, well, thank you so much for being here and being a mm-hmm. part of this podcast. It's really the important part about listening is just really diving into the stories mm-hmm. and learning about an individual to be able to take that away and think about myself and think about when the other listeners listen in, they'll be able to think about themselves and how they interact with the world. So, mm-hmm. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. We are mm-hmm. out. Thanks for having us. PLU Podcast, subscribe to PLU Audio on iTunes or visit plu.edu slash audio.